What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This isn't a fucking conspiracy, this is real life, and people are fucking dying. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto packages, Odyssey, and Rumble as well. Really trying to boost that Rumble. This will not be going out on YouTube. Uh, some of the content gets a little spicy here and there. Plus, I'm avoiding posting on YouTube for now until my strike expires. But if you guys do want to support this channel, especially where I'm demonetized on YouTube now, you can support me at patreon.com. No way, Jose 2020. Uh, the lowest level will get you the early episodes. Highest level, you know, sponsor. I'll read you off a quick plug every episode. I do that at the end. Today, I have my good friend Tyler Yankee with me here today. He's beginning his trek on a deep dive into the origins of the ADL. And I just thought it'd be cool to kind of, you know, talk loosely about the, the whole origins and... Uh, particularly just the current context of what the ADL is now and what's going on with that and some of the newer developments is kind of weirdly interesting stuff. I do remind you guys, if you want to get some of my merch, toplops.com, use Jose at checkout for 10% off. Uh, you can get the Terrence Tiki didn't kill himself shirt, the Kenneth Trinity didn't kill himself shirt, also, also got No Way Jose stuff, or you can get you know other Top Lobster merch while you're over there. Uh, but enough of that, let's get Tyler in here and start shooting the shit. Hey, what's up, my man? How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Pleasure to have you. It's been a while. I'm not sure how long it's been, but it's yeah. been a while. It has uh, been a bit. Uh, by the way, while you're just talking, I went in to, and everyone should do this, Go, went to Rumble, found your your show, and I followed you. So Yeah, not hard. Uh, well, I say that, but I haven't even made an account yet because oh. I don't want to learn another thing. <laughs> I just go to like the free view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Just to track my metrics, but that's about it. How uh, has it. how has your show been doing on on Rumble? Because mine does better over there. By the way, a little tip of how it does better is live streaming it over there. 
it seems to, I don't know, get more bots, but the views or, or the algo helps that way instead of just uploading. Just just a thought. Yeah, I've thought about that. I've heard there, you told me there's an algo boost there. I don't, I don't know if that really would work well with my template. Be a little bit more annoying because I could put the live. I used to do back in the day. I would put up public live streams and then take them down later and then bring them back up. Gotcha. Uh, trying to incentivize, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. The monetization was a kind of a big hit. Like uh, when when recently I got that strike. Uh, so you know I'm trying to trying to incentivize people to do the right. the, the subscription model as opposed to the super chat model if possible. Right. But at the other day I know this isn't like I'm gonna be making big money here. But still. You know, just little little things around the edges. But, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've heard that. Rumble, though, it's weird. I don't know if I trust the numbers, but at the same time, they feel genuine. Because, I mean, between tracking my metrics and uh, fucking Tower Gang's metrics in there, I'm like, it seems to track. Like, whenever there's, like, an episode that I felt, like, more quality, it seems to be higher. So, I'm like, yeah. whereas YouTube's just weird. Like, they'll just... I don't know. It's hard to predict. Every now and then you'll have one that shoots really high in the algo, but I don't know. It feels genuine to me. It's hard when you're talking about like uh, metric stuff. I know this is a gr great conversation for people who <laughs> that aren't podcasters, but uh, yeah, no, it, it feels genuine. Like I feel like there's a lot of subjectiveness when you're trying to figure out if it seems right, but I don't know. It doesn't seem distorted. It seems like good contents riding to the top there. And it seems to be, you know, because I mean, I tried the same thing with Odyssey and I didn't feel that way with it. Right. It was kind of always just like <laughs> with Odyssey. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, my, mine have been doing better over there when I live stream them. Um, it's, it, it is a weird feeling over there because there's not much engagement with the uh, comments. Although I did get paid out, I got I, I was I, I got some ad stuff, so you don't have to have a minimum. It just if if the ads are rolling through, I actually made eighty bucks. So I don't know. Oh shit! What, yeah, off, off your off your measly chat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, that see, there's hope. That, it, this is the the American way. Yeah, for all I know, you could have a bigger channel on Rumble because no. I started I started way too late because I'm a, very much a tech guy and I don't like having to do new things, and so I just. The newest strike is like, fine, I'll make a rumble. <laughs> so yeah. here I am. But uh, I guess this does kind of tie into the conversation a little bit. I uh, brought you on because you are diving deep into the ADL stuff, uh, particularly the origins. But, you know, in modern day, we've got a lot of crazy stuff going on with the band, the ADL thing. Uh, the That was kicked off, I believe, by Keith Woods, who's kind of like an Irish journalist type dude. And I think it really caught uh, caught caught wheels or whatever term you want, euphemism you want to use really got going when Jake Shields started really right. uh, posting hard about it. And it became like the number one trending thing. Um, and I mean, what does ban the ADL mean? I don't know. Uh, I mean, depending on what they mean by that, I may or may not support that. <laughs> so uh, if you're saying legally, no, I don't really support it. But now say, if you're saying should Elon ban the ADL, I think there's a good argument to be had that B Elon probably should ban the ADL from the social media, uh, judging by what they have done to him, uh, and essentially that they are explicitly anti what he's trying to do with free speech. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on it, Tyler? Yeah. So what was interesting? It came about because the ADL had, had gone after some people basically, and, and like trying to basically shut them down. And then the guy I don't remember the guy that you first said, but then Jake Shields was a big one that kicked it off. And of course, then they come after you. And, and by the way, I appreciate what he did, which is just standing up to the mob, which is what's happening and saying, you know, I'm doubling down. Fuck you. I'm not going to fall into this trap 
of just because you're calling me a name, that's what they do. They, they bully in a sense and, and he can push back. And so, yeah, this whole thing came about. So uh, then, then the idea is wh- where did this come about from the 80s? And what was interesting is a few weeks before that, Josh Smith, who's running for president of the Libertarian Party. And by the way, ban the ADL may not be very libertarian-like, but it does sound like it's Hoppet-like. So I'm, yeah. I'm still fine with that. Uh, um, he, he started, uh, there's some guy on there talking about Leo Frank, you know, the ADL and stuff. And so he was pushing back and then Pete Quinones was really pushing back. And then I went on, uh, I wasn't on Pete's show, but I was commenting on, on a live chat he did. And I said, Hey, are you going to do a show on this? And so he got a guy to do it. And then I was already getting kind of going down. I'm like, I'm cause I'm going to do something about this. And, uh, more along the lines of the legal battle that took place of how the ADL came about and it came about all from this Leo Frank, this guy that murdered this girl, and we can get into all that. Uh, but as far as the ADL goes, it is an interesting thing that, um, and we'll talk about kind of their their what what the reasoning was that they came about, um, and then how they're using themselves. Uh, and it is interesting to see that the pushback is so strong right now, and then that Elon Musk is basically coming out with, well, here's proof, and even Ben Shapiro is saying, hey, they they don't seem like a good group. <laughs> Not those Jews, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, it's a. It's. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the purpose they are intended to serve is they're an anti-defamation league. Essentially, what they flout themselves as is an entity that comes to the aid of people being defamed, uh, which would you know kind of somewhat correlate with things like racism, uh, you know, bigotry, whatever. Uh, I guess you could kind of sort of conflate those issues at certain points. But the irony is they've kind of become the exact opposite of that to where really they're more on the hunt. Uh, and essentially they are defaming people. They, they you know paint with broad brushes like they're just a joke at this point. We, I don't know how true some of these memes you see, but you'll see stuff where they'll be like, oh, uh, good morning is now a, a right wing, uh, you know, euphemism or something. And you're like, right. <laughs> it's literally a bunch of Internet people just being goofy and being like, hey, guys, here's a cute meme. Um, and they have to be, oh, look, here's all these right-wing nationalists or whatever. And and our mentality is just like, well, fuck you, you're hacks, and we lean into it and just like, yeah, right. okay, sure, it <clears> is. <throat> whatever. You, keep screeching that and making yourself look silly because that's not what any of us think this is. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on, like, from what it started as to what it is now? Or do you really feel like it ever really was what they said it was supposed to be uh, or, or it was an inversion from the start? Well, <laughs> I don't know a ton about it. Just to, to, I'm fully German. I'm not German Jew. Uh, so I just don't have a lot to do with the ADL. I don't actually know a ton about them other than they're this obscure. They kind of like the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, mm-hmm. a, a left wing hit group that, that isn't truthful about the things that they do. Uh, they're, they're, and, and, you know, it, it reminds me, and so I kind of wonder some of this stuff, you know, when we push back as an example, the good morning and all that. Uh, I think it was 2016 that they said Ben Shapiro got the most anti-Semitic comments or, you know, hate at him on the internet. Um, and I wonder at some point, is that just, uh, like guys like us going, good morning, you know, or like making jokes, someone makes a joke and you just double down talking about his, his girl, his sister's boobs or something like that. Um, so I don't know what that is. Okay. So let's get into this thing. So this, what's interesting is, uh, how the ADL came about. It starts in 1913. Well, they come about from this incident in 1913. And if you if you check out my first episode, I do talk about how um, the, the 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 feeling in the South in 1913. You're not too far from Reconstruction, 
you know, the, the North just dominating the South, obviously from the war and then, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, uh, enforcement arm down there. They had, and then you're coming into the progressive era starting. Uh, so you have this now with young kids going out and working in factories cause they need to. And this was really happening in the South. You know, the South was really decimated as far as, you know, all the manufacturing was in the North for the Civil War and not the South. They were the cotton and that stuff. Uh, but anyway, down in Atlanta, it starts to have a boom. There's a cotton problem, the bull weevil out in the West, which really happens that the, the cotton picking out in, in uh, Atlanta starts to boom and in the South. And they, they start to boom in general. People come down from the North. There's this guy, Leo Frank. He is from Brooklyn. He's 29 years old. He's head of the B'nai B'rith um, Jewish Center, and I think he's more like a reform. I don't know how Jewish he was, because part of this story stems from him working on Saturday. That that doesn't seem right. Ben Shapiro would not do that as an example. Uh, so he's down in the South. He's running this pencil factory. It's the NPC, National Pencil Fa Company. I just call it the NPC. There's got to be a joke in there. Somewhere, yeah, there's somewhere. definitely something there. Yeah. Um, and I just haven't figured that one out, so maybe that's for someone else. Um, so anyway, he's running this factory and this girl gets murdered and we can walk through the timeline if you'd like to, cause I think that's very interesting as well. Uh, and then he gets on trial for murder. He gets convicted. They appeal it. He gets put to death or sentenced to death. He goes all the way up to the Supreme court multiple times, uh, denied, denied, denied. And then, um, he gets lynched essentially. So if you want to step back, we can, uh, that's, that's how that came about. And, and so what happened was at the time he started to get a lot of support from Northerners and from Jewish families. If you equate for real time dollars, it's about $25 million for his defense. So this is, I mean, just, that's a ridiculous uh, number to just have your defense for that. You know, I, I always say, I like, you know, people talk about OJ Simpson, how much he spent, but you're like, yeah, but the state can always outspend you. But this is a case where this guy just had uh, out, out of control money as far as you know, the Jewish um, pushing on it. The big problem was this came into light with Northern papers. Uh, you know, he had the Hearst. You had Ox from the New York Times. You had, I forget the guy's name, from Chicago. And they were all, their newspapers were flooding into the South. It was kind of that era. And they took this case up and they were really interested and they were pro-Frank, Leo Frank. Well, part of that problem now is Leo Frank is a Jew and he's actually tried to accuse two black men of the murder. Okay. Those two black men now become star witnesses against him. And in the South, black men are being lynched. And you now have two black men as star witnesses. By the way, they weren't really even allowed to testify in court before this. So it's kind of a new thing. It, now, the defense was going to go full bore against this these black guys. Called this one guy, oh, he's snorting coke, you know, this low-level nigger. Sorry about the, the language, folks, but that's just the way they talked about it at another time, even in court. Uh, even the, his own attorneys, the defense attorneys were doing this. But then since they had so much attention from the North... And these uh, and, and, and they couldn't go the black route. They couldn't play the race card to that extent. So they now had to say it is because he's a Jew. And so there's a whole reconstruction of history because at the time. Anyway, so the, a lot of the appeals go on to this with like it's a it's a mob mentality. It was so bad we needed to do. And there's some technical things we could get into there as well. But the reality is that they've had to now turn this thing around over the last several years and to try to show that he was, uh, you know, anti-Semitic was the reason for this, and it wasn't. 
Yeah, I, I do think before we move on to the details, I think it may be good to kind of touch on the social sensibilities uh, that you were kind of alluding to there that we talked about a little bit before we started. Uh, I think it is interesting to speak to that, you know, one, the $25 million thing. And this is the whole idea here is supposed to be this is an oppressed individual, an oppressed group or something that's right. somehow being, you know, targeted for it. I guess you, I believe you said in your video, a lot of that was based on they tried to point to different statements people made about how saying they're like litigious Jews or, or whatever, you yeah. know, language they were using that would be, you know, typically commonly associated with anti-Semitism or like calling them a pervert Jew and shit. But you kind of have to think about what was the language of the time and what actually were the modern sensibilities in relation to Jewish people. Cause um, I, I can only surmise, I guess I'm being a little bit, you know, racist here and, you know, assuming things, but I know throughout history, we have these wave of migrants or, or whatever. And like every new generation, like, you know, to use the bad, like the bad language or whatever, like obviously you had the blacks and you know, they became like, you know, they were thought of as niggers or whatever. And then, then you had your next wave of like Irish or whatever people. And they were usually from a lower class group and they were the frowned upon group in society and did kind of, they became the new niggers, if you will. And then, yeah. you know, but I don't, I have a strong feeling Jews may not have had that same problem because because it's quite stereotypical. Uh, you know, it's really a lot of it's due to religion. They tend to have strong family units and are very good at like keeping wealth. And a lot of the big migration was, you know, post World War II. So they were in a very sympathetic time to where the world was feeling probably pretty sympathetic to them. And they were hardworking, you know, people that were industrious and worked well with others, followed rules. Uh, it was kind of like, why would anyone really harbor any resentment from them at that period of time? And they're trying to frame it as if there was some sort of resentment against this group. Um, you know, if we were talking Weimar Germany, maybe you'd have a different, you, I'd, it'd make sense. You'd be like, oh, okay, they're going through an economic downfall and they're looking for a, scapegate, a scapegoat group. And that's the group <laughs> they found. Right. We weren't in that, you know, period in history in the United States when the Jews flooded over to the United States. Does, does that seem to fit your understanding? Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Yes, and, and what I've tried to do is read uh, articles at the time. Um, I read uh, like a book on tape, like at the time as well. And then you, you read analysis of this. And um, the, the best part is to try to see what's there or what's not there. There's not a lot of talk, even the pro-Frank stuff <clears throat> about anti-Semitic stuff. There's not a lot of talk about some sort of mob that was so unruly that he couldn't get uh, you know proper um, uh, due process and whatnot. So... At the time, it just wasn't, and you're right. And, and there's another thing too. If you're not a Jew, especially back then, you were considered low level, you know, below, so a subhuman in a sense. So, um, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> but but look, he's running a factory, right? He's he's like he's a he's a mechanical engineer from uh, Cornell or Brown, one of those two. Let me see, uh, oh, Cornell. So you know Ivy League, he's down there. He's 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 making money. He's not like the people that are working for him. So he's got prestige. So no matter how, and this is the problem I think with the, even the ADL is at the time they they came out of a victim mentality. So that's their their goal now is to I don't know protect victims or to make victims rather than to um, try to I guess instead of defend them and against bad people, uh, they, I think they're almost trying to make the victim status stick even further i don't know yeah no i agree by the way to be clear 
uh, when I was use, using uh, the word nigger earlier, it was to portray a point of the, the way the society viewed them at the time. Uh, Absolutely. Not that I really need to apologize. I don't really care. But I know it's a different audience than Tower Gang. So I'm just, just, just letting you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, no, and and, uh, and it, it is important. What's so interesting, too, is you, you have uh, – so he's a Jew. He's being persecuted. Yet his own defense and him – and everything else, they, they are baffled by the fact that a black man is being heard above them. It it's, blows their mind. They they trash him in court for, oh, look, you dressed this guy up. He's your show pony. You know, they say all the, they, they say the N-word multiple times. I mean, just the, the, the people of the day, right? Uh, and then even you look at the transcripts and it says, you know, like Newt Lee is a guy and it, next to it says colored. Because, of course, you have to identify him as anything other than... Um, than what he is so uh, just human so that's it it's it's a fascinating culture at the time and, and by the way yeah well, and, one more thing i wanted to say too is yeah. you go through this whole trial and you know what's the mentality and this was really prominent with the north in the newspapers at the time too the, the idea is you're lynching black men they don't have a due process ever you just go out there because they're they're wrong uh and they're not us and then um this guy gets a full full-on trial at the time. And so the, the, the idea is, oh, it's the South. It's just not going to be that way. So it's a, it's a month long trial. Um, it, it's, it's crazy. He's getting more lenience than ever. It, all the appeals. And uh, that's why I firmly believe he was guilty. And um, there could only be two people, two people, by the way. And we can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, I guess before we move on, I know this story kind of spoiler ends with him getting lynched. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, vigilante justice, essentially? Because uh, uh, personally, I know this may sound silly, but I'm for it. it. I'm like, I'm not like initially an advocate and think it's a smart path to take. But if it does happen, and it just so happens to be someone who actually was a perpetrator of such a crime, to which I feel like that merits it. Okay, you know, like I don't know. That's that's my view. I guess people say you need a system in place to make sure certain people are doing it right, but. I mean, yeah, sure, if you can come to find out that that person was innocent and they killed an innocent person, they should be held liable. Kind of the same concept Rothbard had when it came to, like, policing. Like, okay, yeah, you can arrest people and do all that, but if come to find out you arrested the wrong person, then now you're held liable for whatever damages you've caused. Uh, you know, as opposed to just, oh, whoopsies, like we kind of have now. Um, so that's my view on it. I, I definitely would never advocate that being the smart route for people to go. But in this situation where it looks like he did do it. Um, all right. You know, like it worked out in the end. So maybe that wasn't the best means, but hey, you know, I don't know. Maybe don't molest and kill children. Right. <laughs> so what, okay, the, the trial ends on the 25th of August, 1913. Mm -hmm. uh, the very next day, the judge sentences him to, to de hang to, to death and has the hanging date in October, like October 10 or something like that. So it's quick. Now, he doesn't end up getting, you know, Two years later with appeals, it keeps all getting pushed off, pushed off, pushed off. I am, I am, and, and so reading this and seeing this, I'm like, oh, it's the, the justice is swift. Like he gets adjudicated, he's guilty. It's pretty swift. It's kind of nice. But, you know, there are trials out there. And look, as people that uh, like the conspiracy stuff, um, you could understand how people get railroaded uh, often in the legal system. I just don't think this is one of them. Okay, I, I'm, I'm pretty firm on that. This is not one of those cases because uh, of all the scrutiny and everything that went into it. Uh, and the unlevel playing fields of him being a white man in the South and a black man uh, in the South uh, is kind of the, uh, the protagonist in this case. Um, so 
how do I feel about vigilante justice in this case? I'm like, thumbs up seems good, but you know, you always, it's just like putting anybody to death. Right. Um, yeah. but sometimes the mob's right. Yeah, exactly. And in that case, I don't think they should be, should be uh, prosecuted. So <laughs> side note, um, the, uh, the, the, the guy for the, um, Chicago newspaper and then Ox for the New York times, they both put a ton of money into him. And then later on in life, they said when they met him, they thought he was a pervert, uh, and, uh, it's almost a semblance of, they had hoped that they were glad that he was lynched people understand this guy gets like a break in to jail. He gets taken out, he gets lynched. Nobody ever gets tried for that lynching. Yeah. I, I just, I, I just had a thought just recently. I found out what the hell a pogrom is. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that term. It's a common yeah. term you'll hear by these ADL types always referring to how there have been so many pogroms against Jews or whatever. I looked at it just because I never really knew what it was. And it basically literally is essentially this. Uh, this situation, yeah. you could technically consider this a pogrom because a pogrom is essentially some sort of mob behavior, usually a lynching of some sort, that is a either, you know, it, it's not, it's either, you know, completely condoned by the government or, you know, ignored, essentially. Essentially allowed by the monopoly on violence. And I, I just, as you know, we're going through the story, I feel like this is a common point people use. Uh, and I feel like you probably could do this with any race. You know, once you start breaking up races, you could point to these pogroms or whatever. And it's not necessarily always the flex you think it is. It could be a situation to where it's like, you know, it clearly was some sort of injustice occurred. Some, you know, maybe they were literally targeted and the government antagonized it, some group that they didn't like or something. Or it could be a situation like this where it's like, I mean, I don't know necessarily their motives for not prosecuting the mob, but at the same time, it's I ha, I I kind of tend to think maybe it's one of those things where like, well, they were right. Right. <laughs> so, so the difference, know? I think, with this and like a pogrom or pogrom or yeah. whatever it's called, which typically was I associate it with like uh, Soviet Russia early on, and yeah. you know, nineteen twenties, and and Jews were getting slaughtered in different places over there. Um, is they adjudicated this guy, they gave him due process, they had 13 appeals, and at that point, then when it was done, and by the way, uh, I will, we'll maybe walk from the back going forward, his sentence gets commuted by the governor, that's why they'd lynched him. They said, mm -hmm. no, I, I don't care, um, we're, we're, we're taking this down. We're taking this yeah. guy down regardless. Exactly. So here's a pogrom where it's like, okay, this is a result of a massive injustice. So yeah, but yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of other ones. I'm just saying, you know, just throwing out these things doesn't necessarily always interpret the data you're trying to say. Like if you're like, this group yeah. has had this many pogroms, it's like, okay, well, how many of those were justified? And they're like, what, 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 what? <laughs> you know, that, no, may, people may not always want to answer that question. And that's not even saying the majority of them are, or all of them, you know, one, it's not even saying how many there are. I'm just saying, I don't know. I mean, this, you may have to look into it. People can cherry pick right. data. They can make things look one way or another, you know? Um, so it's like oh, McCarthy in his, uh, you know, claiming there's uh, what, 200 communists in the, in the, in the, in the government at the time, which yeah, there, there were a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, maybe about 200. I, I don't know. Uh, JC in the chat, he says, uh, vigilante justice, is the oldest form of justice in modern times is a symptom and natural reaction to a failed legal system. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, in a lot of times I feel like I kind of trust, I mean, maybe I don't, I don't think I'm more, I was about to say, I usually typically, uh, trust the vigilante justice more than the real, but I don't know. I just think of that one more. Uh, but I, I would I just feel like when a group of people feel that motivated to go to that degree, it's like, they must, 
they must be coming from a place where typically they they have something. Uh, I don't but know. not always. COVID, COVID would have dumb. taken uh, several of us down <laughs> with the justice, yeah. uh, the, the vigilante justice at that time. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that's why I'm saying it doesn't necessarily indicate one way or another. Uh, right. But yeah, I guess let's get start getting into just kind of, uh, I don't know, this, just the story in general, kind of what happened and kind of, you know, I guess you, we can dig deeper from there. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to do the good sem- uh, overview. Yeah. And, and by the way, interrupt me with anything that you want. So uh, it's 1913, April 26 or something like that. Um, and what's interesting is it's Confederate day. This was Memorial day in the South Confederate day. And I also found it interesting that, um, and, you know, at the time, uh, Stonewall Jackson's wife, I think she was there at the parade in Atlanta that day. So Stonewall Jackson, you know, gets killed in the, uh, uh the civil war. That's, that's to me fascinating, just a time period, right? Civil war happens now we're almost to world war one and it's, these people are still, they seen, anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. So this girl, Mary Fagan, she's 13 year old that works in this pencil factory. She goes to pick up her check. It's a Saturday. Leo Frank is there. He's like runs the whole place. The, although it's a holiday and the, the place is closed, but he's there and she goes to pick up her check. Dollar 26 is what she was owed for the week. Uh, she hadn't worked much. She, she, she goes, she's there with a buddy she, off the train she, and she never comes home. Okay comes a, a night watchman finds her at 3 a.m. the next morning there's a three-story building and she's in the basement uh she's um garroted well strangled with some rope what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Um, and she's messed up so much so he doesn't even know she's a white girl because there's dirt and everything on her face. It's a black man, the night watchman. He tries to call Mr. Frank, doesn't answer, calls the police. The police come over. They see this. Now, 1913, we don't have a fingerprint evidence. We don't have a lot of the good stuff, DNA as an example. Uh, so they don't have a lot of this and some things kind of go awry, but they go and get Mr. Frank and they bring, and he's immediately very nervous, acting completely strange. And they bring him there and they go down this elevator shaft to the bottom. There's a stench down there. We'll get to kind of that later. Um, and they, they, he doesn't even want to look at the body. They figure out who it is, uh, this Mary Fagan girl. He says he's never heard of her before. That's important. Um, they look at a time clock because I guess in, the night watchman had to check in every 30 minutes. And so he was punched in every 30 minutes. Nothing was missing. So it was all good there. He says, oh, it's good. This guy's name is uh, Newt Lee, the, the night watchman. He's a black guy. And he seems to be pretty upstanding. At least, you know, he's forthright. He called the police. Uh, this girl, he said he had never seen her. She's down there. Da, 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 da. Um, Mr. Leo Frank is a little odd and nervous to the point where the police are a little suspicious. So they arrest him. They arrest Mr. Frank, uh, Mr. Newt Lee, and they actually let those two talk. They're actually telling Mr. Frank, hey, go and interrogate this guy. And this guy is just like, hey, I, I... side note, Mr. Frank um, was going to go to a baseball game with his brother-in-law that afternoon. Um, he had told Mr. Newt Lee to come in early and then when Newt gets there at four o'clock, he's like, oh, because the girl died around 12, we can figure. He's like, oh, um, you need to go away. Just just go somewhere. Go go take a nap somewhere else. And this guy's like, hey, can I just sleep downstairs? He's like, no, you need to leave. And there's a, 
uh, a rule that the, the NPC has that once the night watchman shows up, he can't leave. So that was a little odd. It makes him leave. He's acting weird. Comes back. Anyway, finds a girl. Then it, the, the thing will kind of kick forward here, which is um, a few weeks later, there's this other guy that works at the factory. He's kind of he's he's actually a despicable person, in my opinion. He uh, pees on the pencils. The girls have complained about doing that. He takes a shit on the basement floor that night. Matter of fact, when the elevator came down, they smashed it and it just stunk. Um, he's just not a good guy. He was arrested, too, and they just kind of forgot about him. Well, finally, about two weeks, he calls the police and he's like, hey, um, I, 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 I know who did this. And they're like, what? He's like, yeah, Leo Frank did it. And he told me to uh, help him out. Now, they also found some um, uh, notes by this girl. And they were written, as they always say, written like a black man because they were they were ebonics. They weren't done very well. But this it put the blame on some what they called night witch, which I think is the night watchman. So then he lies and lies and lies about his stories over and over and over. Finally comes to it where he's like, look, here's the deal. Leo Frank uh, used to do this all the time. He would have girls out there. He'd have me watch. He would whistle. When he whistled, I'd shut the door. When he stamped his foot, I'd open the door and make sure. I, just, I was watching for him. This guy got paid more than all the girls. He got, he, 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 like I said, he was shitting on the floor. He was peeing on the pencils. Everyone hated him or didn't like him. He was a gross guy. Uh, he was drunk all the time. And with that, he got paid more than he ever should have in the factory. And you wonder why? Well, because he was doing these things. So that he becomes a star witness. Now, in, in this time, this two weeks, uh, this Newt Lee was maybe the, the culprit here. Uh, Leo Frank says now he produces a time card, says, oh, he didn't punch it. So and oh, and he's got a bloody shirt. So they go find a bloody shirt at this guy's house. It's it's red. And it's the shirts folded like you just folded a shirt and then dipped it in some paint. Not like you wore it and actually got blood on you. So people were already at this time trying to intercept and make uh, false evidence for Mr. Uh, Leo Frank and frame one black guy. He was exonerated. Mr. Newt Lee, he came out and was a good witness. And then this Connolly guy, like I said, he was kind of a piece of trash himself. He has six, uh, what 16 hours worth of testimony. And he is unflappable. I mean, he lies all the time, but when he's on the stand, they had got him good and they got him sound. And he, he did a really good job of pinpointing it. There's a few things. This girl comes in at noon and she comes to pick up her Mary Fagan. She comes to pick up her check. And that's the last anybody sees him. Mr. Frank says, yeah, I gave her the check. And everyone kind of, there's a few people that were there that said, yeah, we saw her at 12. Then another girl comes in at about 1207. She says he was, the, he was gone. There was no one in the office and um, she waited there for like 10 minutes and then left. She was there to pick up her check as well. This comes into important because he says he's never left his office. He said he must have been in there. She just didn't see him. She's like, there's no one ever in there. And then later, uh, kind of get back to this whole thing at trial. He is allowed to do something that it, it blows my mind is um, he does an unsworn testimony the very last day. He basically reads a four hour statement. And in that statement, he says, and you can't cross examine him. In that statement, he says, um, Yeah, I may have inadvertently, uh, unconsciously walked down to this metal room where she was supposedly taken. Now, just real quick here, um, he had told the, the Connolly, the one black guy that helped him, Hey, I, I've hurt this girl. I, she hit her head. I didn't mean to kill her, but I killed her. You know, I'm not like most men. And 
that's baffled me because this guy testified that one time he, he goes, yeah, he's not like most men. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, I came into his office once and his head was down between a, a, a girl's le- knees or legs. And so everyone's like, oh, you're doing oral. You're a pervert. So he was a, he was a pervert in that area, much like uh, your tower gang is now. Wait, so you, are you implying that they were saying I'm a pervert because the t- at the times Cunnilingus was just that perverted or just that he was having sex at work? I didn't know if you had a point there. <laughs> um, I, I didn't know. Well, I, I was telling my wife this. I go, I go think about, think about Cunnilingus uh, back then, right? I don't know yeah. the girls. They didn't have the hygiene products. They didn't wash yeah. themselves well, regularly. That's a brave man or crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I, I just thought that was the point you were getting at. Maybe, maybe, maybe I got the one. I want to correct I, myself real quick because I'm a retard. I just realized when I was surmising about race relations earlier, I was basing it off a world a post World War II mentality. This is a is pre. This is like yeah. right around World War One. So I right. mean, it, so the, it's gonna be a little bit different because I do think there was a little bit of heated Jewish rhetoric around World War Two over here in the states, but I don't really feel like there probably was as much around the World War One time, but. I don't know. Whatever. Either way, they they were killing it. (laughs) Yeah, I think the bigger problem at the time was he's a northerner Mm -hmm. in the south, and in the south he's uh, running a factory where young girls are having to work to support their families, and Mm -hmm. that was a problem. There was a lot of crime too in Atlanta at the time. So, yeah, it looks like he was taking advantage of that rotating group of women. Well, they had they had almost they they said they were going to have a hundred. I don't think it was quite that many girls testify uh, at the trial that he would ask them to do stuff, that he was touchy. He, he knew this Mary Fagan. He was touching her quite a bit. And, you know, he said, I never, I, I didn't even know who she is. But there was other evidence that he had seen her multiple times. So multiple girls came and, um, and testified against him. What's interesting about the appeals process for the court is that it's, it's not, you know, I think, okay, 100 years ago, what was the rules of evidence? How, what, it was solid. I mean, they, uh, as an example, character evidence, you can't just come in and say, oh, this guy's diddling everybody that way. He's obviously diddling this girl. And I should probably back up a bit. Um, rape. So yeah, right. there's, but, yeah. <laughs> there's an accusation that he, um, she was brutally raped. So oh, when you read shit. the coroner's okay. evidence, I, I and, thought you were trying to uh, specify, like, I, I, I know we're saying sex or whatever, but they, they were underage. So it's clearly, well, uh, that, statutory, I didn't even go but there. I, I didn't know you were saying violent rape. I mean, not that yeah. it really makes it any, I guess it does make it worse, but it's still not well, like, I mean, it's bad either way. <laughs> These fucking kids. Right. Right. <laughs> what, what got, what me, when you read this, there, there are two sides of this, right? Which is the ADL's pushing that he's so innocent and what's such a glorious person. Then the other side tends to sometimes push back and embellish a little bit from what I've got from reading all the coroner's evidence and the testimony is they're not sure if she was raped. She may have been digitally penetrated. Um, so that's why I think the black guy didn't do it because he would have destroyed her. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so something here and there uh, with, with that she possibly was, you know, I don't know. But they said the hymen was already broke, but not that that time. So she had, you know, 13 year old. He maybe have dealt with her already. And I think that's what happened is he had had it planned to go in there that day. He wanted he wanted the other guy to be there, the, the calmly guy to to be the watch out for him. He was supposed to be there. And uh, then it just went wrong. All right. Well, if they're basing their uh, their guesses uh, on whether it was violent rape, on whether there was a hymen or not, uh, I mean, I guess if it was like freshly torn, you can. But I don't know. I guess we're, we are talking about in the 19 teens. So, right. uh, you know, I don't know. Their forensic uh, work might not have been so great because 
I feel like it's pretty. I mean, maybe I don't. I don't have a vagina, but it's my understanding that hymens can get broken by all sorts of ways. You know, right. or accident, just even I, feminine hygiene products, like all sorts of shit. So, right. <laughs> like trying to. I, base I don't a, think that's you know, yeah. that's Im- the important part. I think mm-hmm. what it was was one. It wasn't super obvious that she was raped. Yeah. That was one. But two, um, it looked like there was some irritation to the point where there probably was something happening. Uh, yeah. Just not brutally. So it, it, that's kind of in question. You know, you think a brutal rape is just like torn up. Um, I don't know. That's my my visions of yeah, it. At least. I, I don't know. I mean, it all seems pretty subjective, unless there's like claw marks and shit on the on the guy. That, but yeah, no, that's beside the point. But anyways, um, all right, I, where where were we at? What, what's the next <laughs> thing? You're talking about the peels process <laughs> last. Yeah, let me, I'll talk about some of it the, because there's there's some interesting parts. Which is they the they um. His defense attorneys were uh, the best in the nation at the time, especially in the South. Uh, they made a lot of money, especially off of this case, and they they did a good job. Uh, so they tried to keep out this testimony that these girls were um, that he was coming and talking to them, or that some of them said he had bad behavior. So you can't just introduce, like I said, someone's character into court uh, without reason. So unless it's a part of what they call a pattern of, of behavior that is so likely to have maybe occurred that this was still part of that pattern, right? And that's kind of where they got this. So it was interesting to see them walk the line of uh, being able to ask these girls some of these questions. So uh, the defense attorneys didn't even like cross-examine them a lot because they're just like, we can't, we can't have them say more than they already have and then be in trouble because then once you open that door, then they they just come through like like Leo Frank in the pencil factory, so it's like a, you got to be careful. Me and my wife recently it just started watching just because we thought it was funny the uh, John, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard like little thing mm. on Netflix. Yeah, just because it's like I never really got into it when it was happening. I mean, I saw some of the memes; it was funny, but it is like funny seeing these defamation cases because once you give a legal precedent to dig it deeper into something, like, I know there's like a point in their trial where she brought up a separate incident with uh, Kate Moss, who was a previous girlfriend of him yeah. of his, yeah. and was kind of implying some sort of violence. And by doing that, she just fucked herself over because she opened a whole other path of questioning and a whole other like, witnesses they can call to the stand and stuff, uh, whereas like they couldn't bring that up prior, but because she invoked it, it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll go ask her what she thinks about this, and now you are stuck looking like a fucking liar. <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah, it's, that, is, that is interesting. Yeah, once you that have... Trial uh, was, that trial, yeah. I watched that trial, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And what was fascinating was, uh, and, and same with Alex Jones, kind of his thing, too, is you, you watch these people just ramble. And sometimes, um, you know, the, uh, the cross-examined uh, uh, attorney will try to object, like, you know, narrative or whatever it is that uh, they're just going on and on. I always tell my clients, you're a piano, okay? And I, if, if I push a key, I only want to hear that note. I don't want to hear a song. So if, I'm, if, if they're asking you a question, don't necessarily elaborate. I, I will get you on cross, you know, and redirect. I'll help you out. We'll, we'll fix this problem if it's kind of a gotcha type of thing. Because uh, so many times it just opens the door. And you saw that so much with the Johnny Depp where they're just talking on and on and on. And it was <laughs> it made for fascinating. T- and that's usually my problem with like TV dramas, you know, attorney stuff is it's like, come on, you're going to be objections here. But Johnny Depp, that was that was quite the quite the scenario. So, <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to. I know he was, he's clearly a massive piece of shit, but it's just so hard not to just like love him throughout because you're right. like, it's just hilarious. And she's clearly an insane person. So I'm probably going to get Amber Heard hate on this. I guess that's the whole thing. There's like a movement. But uh, all right. Yeah. Is there what what have we missed that you feel like is important to this story that we should talk about? Um, 
Oh, there's like, a few things. Um, yeah. there's, there's what they call three different um, confessions. Okay, so um, he goes home that night and he tells his wife, according to, he's got, you know, live-in staff. I don't know if there's uh, legal slaves or what he has there. But uh, he says to his wife and they overhear, which is, um, I've killed this girl. I didn't mean to, <laughs> something like that. And so this this lady, um, her husband said, calls the police and is like, hey, I, he did it. And, and my wife overheard. <laughs> so they have her write a declaration. And then later on, she tries to recant this declaration, saying that, um, you know, it wasn't done in whatever. Um, shouldn't have shouldn't have happened. I, I didn't say it. The police forced me to say it. OK, that, that's that's one of them. Uh, the other one is the one I mentioned where he goes down the hallway and uh, or he says he I'm, inadvertently had gone to the to the bathroom. Um, and then there was another one where he someone else overheard him kind of saying the same thing. Uh, I don't remember actually what that one. I think that was with he was he was trying to negotiate with um, Newt Lee, the first guy that he had kind of pinned as the as the bad guy. And the police are letting him talk to him. And he's like, if you don't if you don't say something about this, we're both going to hell or something like that. So kind of just implying that um, he's not necessarily the the, the most upstanding. That, that was some uh, other portion. I mean, there's there's so many fascinating details of mm -hmm. this whole case. Um, let me see if I can remember any of them out. Uh, Real quick, Leo Frank. So he was a family guy. Roughly how old was he? Did he have kids? 29. Oh, he's 29. 29. Did he have any? Yeah, I, I don't think he had any kids. Yeah. His I'm wife, just trying to get a picture of what we're dealing with, but go on. Yeah, if you want to see a picture of him, he looks suspiciously like a based podcaster that we, <laughs> we know. Uh, what, does he look like Andy? One. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, I, when I say based, I'm saying like uh, self-professed. Um, oh, oh, I see what you. Oh, yeah. You know what? The, the physiognomy, the physiognomy makes sense. So yeah, very, <laughs> very strikingly. Um, and you know, that's even some things that you've seen, like uh, recreation of people trying to change the whole outlook of what this was, like redoing books, and it's fine to do that. But they'll say things like, um, "Oh, he was actually much shorter." Like they're they're dropping his height by like five inches, making him small. Like he couldn't have possibly have done this. Like, well, this was a thirteen-year-old girl. So yeah. <laughs> she hit her head on this lathe or something, and then you strangled her. I think you can do that. Yeah, pretty sure uh, yeah, even like a kind frail, of... frail, 130-pound adult male could probably easily kill a 13-year, most 13-year-old females. So yeah, yeah it, it doesn't hold up. Uh, yeah, and I was just trying to get a picture of what we're dealing with. So uh, I guess let's talk about where the ATL comes into this. Is uh, this is basically their founding myth, essentially? Correct. Yeah, so this uh, Brand Ben Breath um, Jewish group that he was actually voted in as the president of, uh, Mr. Leo Frank was. Uh, they're a pretty strong uh, Southern um, Jewish group down in in, in Atlanta. Uh, he actually gets re-nominated as president while he's uh, going in convicted. I when he was convicted and doing the appeals. So that's how much. Anyway, they that's where a lot of this money and circulated and came from. So they got their their impetus from this group then formed the ADL and they, they came out of that. The, the Knights of Mary Fagan, they're another group that's there in the South and they end up what they consider to be a, kind of a formation, a rebirth of the KKK. And that's also some uh, revisionist history because the KKK was kind of dying out. If you like read um, Booker T. Washington's book up from slavery, he talks about how the KKK just is kind of dead after the civil war. It's just not really what it used to be. 
uh, and it does die off of the wild, but then it does make a resurgence. But that resurgence is more likely due to uh, the Birth of a Nation movie that came out in 1917, which was screened in the White House by Woodrow Wilson, which kind of glorified the reconstruction period in the, the KKK, not to do with this so much. So uh, the Knights of Mary Fagan were a group that were kind of really pushing, and I think they're the ones that kind of lynched this guy. They do kind of form some of the KKK, but even then, I think they said it was like 1,400 to maybe um, a few thousand uh, in in uh, in Atlanta or in Georgia at that time. You know, next few years, and it just didn't really. So you can't. That's that's part of the ADL's birth as well. Is hey, now we're going to fight against you know this guy's unduly uh, lynched. We're going to fight against the KKK. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is part of that is even some Jews, I think, were part of this uh, KKK and uh, the um, Knights of Mary Fagan, because back then it was more along the lines of you've got um, you know, the oh, black men. Good, good tower gang joke, but go on. Uh, well, uh, don't, don't forget it. <laughs> go on. But Sorry. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I, so the ADL, as far as that goes, I... I don't know where they, they kept going from this other than it was the biggest new, they, I read something uh, the other day, which was this Jim Connolly guy that was the black man that testified. I mean, think about this. You get a black man to testify the star witness against someone, a white guy that murdered and raped a young girl, a white girl. Okay. If he was anything but Jewish, let's say he was a, uh, just a good old uh, Christian. This would have been a great Amistad type of moment for the black people, right? Our man rises up. He's, he goes against the system. You know, he's formally lynched and da-da-da. And now he would have been this, this hero, which, like I said, he was a dirty guy too. So he shouldn't really have been. But that would have been the story that you would have had coming out of this. But instead, it's a Jewish guy. And then you've got to revamp this whole history and tie that into there. And so it was a, the newspapers. Oh, I was going to say this. Um, there was more words written about this Connolly guy than uh, W.D. Du Bois and a few other Booker T. Washington, some of these other prominent black people at the time. So this guy was getting all the news and the northern papers were really driving this whole thing. And I think they just saw it as now we've got money. Now we can go off of this victimhood. It's now down in the south. It's just one more thing to do. I mean, the blacks were being lynched. You get one of your guys and now suddenly you're you rule the game. It's yeah, typical they- whites. Yeah. And the irony here is that like the the claimed victimhood is what perpetuates actually actual like people who like fit the the boogeyman that you're creating. So like to the KKK members, you talking about that, like, you know, supposedly lynched him or whatever. It's kind of like, well, you do realize you stoked that fire by by making this a race thing when, like you said, literally the other suspect is a black man. So if we're playing this oppression game, it made no fucking sense. So like the idea that he was being targeted for being a Jew, I think most people see that on their face is ridiculous. So when you have people even have a, a, a little tinge of like legitimate, like, fuck other races, fuck the Jews, uh, like, then that's, they're like, that is going to send off a fucking signal in their head. Like, what the hell? These guys aren't impressed. Like, and they're going to, they're trying to pull this shit. Like, and you give them a semblance of a point, <laughs> essentially, right. you know? So well, I, I always talk about picking the right person to kind of represent your issue. Like Colin Kaepernick is a horrible, horrible uh, person to represent, you know, the kneeling down and the oppression of police when he wears a Fidel Castro shirt, you know, open. And like that guy oppressed people at, with the police more than anybody. And you're going to associate anyway. So he's trash. And I just don't think, and I don't think Leo Frank is a good uh, person too. When you look deep into this, I mean, so now the ADL, here's, here's a few things. So uh, the governor 
commutes his sentence. This governor then leaves office and goes and works for the same law firm that had defended Leo Frank through this whole entire case. So there's some weirdness there of like, oh, okay, we kind of bought out. Um, but he did, he commutes the sentence to life in prison, doesn't commute it to be like, you know, pardon him. Then uh, I think it was in the uh, 84, 85, uh, was it even that far? Well, he was, he was, his sentence was, uh, Part, he was pardoned. Okay. Yeah, he was pardoned, actually. And the ADL makes a big deal about this now. He pardoning? was never... Pardon? A posthumous what? pardoning? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Posthumous. Yeah. Par- yes. And yeah. and what they got on that, there was a guy that came out and said, oh, you know what? I was this young kid. I testified that, um, that you know, Leo Frank... I, I don't remember exactly what he testified to, but now he's saying that he saw this Connolly guy dragging the girl and that he's the one that did it. And there's a bunch of holes you can poke, poke in that. What the uh, Georgia Board of um, Pardons or, or appeal, whatever did down there was they then said, you know what, we are going to pardon him posthumously only for the fact that we let him get lynched when he should, when he didn't, we did not protect him in jail. So they didn't say he was not innocent. They still said completely, you know, his guilt is still there, but we will only pardon the fact that we should have protected him. So the ADL now says, oh, he was innocent. He was, he has a full on pardon. And, and, you know, that's just playing the game as well. Yeah, no. Um, well, I think we're probably at nearing an end here. I would highly recommend people going check out your show, Digging Deep. There's way more to go. I was trying, like, we could obviously have gone way down different rabbit holes and gone deeper and deeper. But it is one of those things that, like, the more you start to tug at it, you know, kind of tugging the string of your shirt, the more you're going to get. So I don't want to get, I, I think we covered most of the bases here. So people uh, can go dig deeper, check out your series. Uh, I, I think that, I think it's very interesting because it is like it, basically the ADL was born out of lie. And then later they, you know, I guess the lie started to wear off and, oh, now yeah. we have this person. Oh, we got to pardon them. Uh, so I don't know. It's just this whole game. And I think it's important for people to realize these things because these kind of almost play a part in the collective psyche because this group has gone on to do all sorts of things and shift culture in all sorts of weird different ways. You know, like I was kind of alluding to, I think by existence of these, you know, victim mentality groups, they create their own enemies. And so we have issues with both sides in in that sort of binary. So yeah, I, I think it's important for people to realize, you know, kind of how these things are, a lot of these things are based on lies and, Victim mentality is bullshit. So, especially no, when you're to, not even a fucking victim, right? right. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't do you any good. I, I, I appreciate you letting me come on to just uh, spill some of this because it is it is tough. So, um, you know, just kind of getting the overview. And there's there's a bunch I'm going to go into with the appeal stuff because there's the 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 pushing up to. And let me just. Do you have like four minutes? Yeah, yeah. Let me, okay, I have as many minutes as you want. <laughs> uh, it's fine. I, I don't want to bore your audience. But uh, so what's really interesting is uh, there were concerns that there might be, uh, no matter what the um, announcement of the jury was, there might be some concerns of the rioting. Okay. So the judge says to all the d- attorneys, because at the time, part of your due process rights is that you get to be present at all aspects of the trial. So he says, hey, look, what if we just have Leo Frank not in here when the jurors, uh, when the jury reads their verdict and uh, the, def- the, the, the prosecutor's like, that's fine, but we don't want them using this against us uh, at some later date. And the defense is like, yeah, well, it's fine. We waive it. So he waives his right to being present when the jury's read. They pull the jury. Everything's fine. Later on, then he, he immediately files for a new trial. In this new tr- request for a new trial, he does not bring this point up. Okay. 
And then he's going through later on. And then he, he does more appeals and he gets one up to the Supreme Court on, on a violation of his due process rights under the 14th Amendment and habeas corpus, which is he gets to have a live body in court at all times. It's also what Michael Knowles says. Uh, President Lincoln was fine with uh, restricting people. Anyway, side note. Uh, so the, the court says, no, you should have brought that up in the first trial. We don't we're not going to do this. And that's one of the big aspects. So that's it's just it's it's fascinating little legal stuff that uh, and I'll break those those things down uh, at the time. But he, he missed his chance and uh, didn't get it uh, even with the Supreme Court. Yeah, uh, I, I I do think it's interesting too because we have these moments in our in our you know yeah in I guess our society or whatever you want to call it where every now and then we have like a Trayvon moment or a uh, who Floyd moment or or whatever where these these like huge or, or you know. Um, huge or the OJ moment where we have right. these huge uproars, divisive things, these like race relations or whatever. And they always miss the point. I uh, think Dave kind of covered this recently in an episode with Keith Knight. It was really good where they kind of went to these like socialist justice yes. stuff and how it, how it twists things. Cause it gets it to where you're focused on something beside the point. Um, Cause it doesn't really like when it comes to these, like, you know, I don't know, Eric Garner or whatever it's the matter isn't whether they're black or not. And like, you kind of like miss the point and it distorts things and causes other knock on effects when you're focused on that, as opposed to did this person commit the crime or not? So because this thing became a race thing, it created issues on both sides. It, it cemented the, you know, the, the Jews or some of the Jews more into a victimhood mentality. And it legitimately created more of its enemies that it claimed to be trying to prevent, uh, right. as opposed to being focused on what, you know, the crime and, you know, why it happened or who did it or whatever. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, Tyler, we'll go ahead and get out of here. I appreciate that. Uh, no, yeah. uh, Tyler Yonke on uh, Twitter. Uh, I just released, I guess it's been a little while, uh, an extensive eight day review of the Tom Woods show. <clears throat> so I would encourage you if you ever want to just check out clips of Tom Woods, it's me uh, talking about him. So uh, go check that out. Just go LPR on Rumble and you'll find my show. All right. And I want to give a big thank to my uh, my my sponsors. I have Toad, my co-host on Tower Gang. Follow him on Twitter at Tower Gang Toad. I have at Abrogate D's. Uh, Follow him on X, formerly known as Twitter. I have Kevin B. Clark, who's a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area, if you're looking for that. And then at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Uh, and with that, we are out of here. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Follow me, at Tower Gang Jose. And we are out of here. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks. Oh, thanks, bud. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.